Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Jeff Contreras is back for round two, and welcome. How Thank are you? you very much, Arthur. I appreciate it. Cool. You got my name right that time. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as much as I, I, of course, I was so, so excited to have you back on the podcast, but you have a reason other than our mutual love for each other, and that reason is a bookie-wookie. Yeah, I do. I actually, I have a book coming out, my first book ever. You know, I, ne- I never really thought that I would write a book. And so many of my colleagues, you know, are taking care of that. And so I didn't think I'd have anything to write about. I'll write about everything. But uh, so this, this issue just kind of fell into my lap, and I ended up just making a series of notes for a friend. And before I know it, I had a book. Wow. Yeah, what I think is is interesting about it is that there's you see a lot of published material, of course, these days and since the '90s, new age that are eclectic and grabbing things from all over the place and throwing them together. But most of the time, that people do things like that, there's very little cohesion, very little actual familiarity with any of the various topics that people are compiling and and, and putting into a book. But what you've done. What you, we have with your book, because I've, I've spent several hours with it, though not read every word, but I've spent several hours enjoying it very much. And it's, it's the eclectic and the, the full spectrum of, of a variety of techniques and ideas, but brought together by someone who's been living and practicing those techniques and ideas for many, many decades and put together with care and attention with, with really, it seems like, a real question of what will actually benefit the person reading this book and how can these things be laid out in a way that could benefit almost anyone. And I see you in that book introducing very esoteric things in ways that are quite comprehensible to the non-esotericist even, or someone just interested in some forms of spirituality and magic. Yeah. You know, uh, the book is called hacking the human experience. And that's basically what it is. Uh, You know, when you're done with, Doing the great work, you meet so many people, you know, that, that come into your life and, and they seem to have something wrong with them. And, you know, sometimes you can help them and sometimes you can't. And uh, over the years, I've noticed, you know, there's, there's, you know, quite a few things that always seem to work and some things that don't. And the things you don't, you know, kind of toss aside and the things that do, you kind of keep around. And uh, not every one thing works for everybody, but, you know, you get a few things that do work and, uh, you know, you can have them try out two, maybe three things and something will stick. You know, it's so hard to change who you are. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, our personality is hardwired into our code basically. And it's, it really is difficult to change. And unless you do it by repetition, which is really the, one of the only ways up until, you know, the past two or three decades, um, you aren't going to change. But these techniques that I put together along with, you know, you know, basic stuff like prayer and, you know, uh, I, I, I did bring in a little new age, you know, from the manifestation world, you know, that arena. Uh, I mean, when, when you work magic, you know, you're familiar with manifestation. And so this kind of gives you the nuts and bolts behind it. And then I also added, you know, um, stoicism, which I think is a great philosophy. I think, you know, 
more people should practice it because it's so, so good for you. And I really just throw the basics together. And, and like I said, I, I did this as a series of notes for a friend who was going to have to go uh, on a 30-day rehab. And I wanted them to have some notes. That way they could do something each day, kind of help them along. And so the, the book is actually formatted like a 30-day you know, workbook. And mm-hmm. I, I, give you something, I give you something to do or think about every day for 30 days. And at the end of that, you know, you will have the tools that you need to, to basically change your personality or get rid of some bad habits or whatever it is that you, that you want to do. And, yeah, there, there's quite a bit of esotericism in there. I mean, I've, I've got some really solid prayers from the Order Roquois. Uh, I mean, I would even introduce you how to how to find your HGA if you, if you feel like doing that. Yeah, that really stood out to me. I, I was surprised at how, how, like, when you when you introduced uh, esoteric things specifically, you didn't just introduce, like, sort of, uh, you know, entry-level stuff. You just sort of brought in right away. No, the no, most potent no, things no banishing that, rituals in my book. <laughs> yeah, you, you brought in the most potent things that you would think uh, are crucial if someone maybe only had uh, 30 days to uh, get a slight intro to the most effective techniques and practices that can be used. Yeah, I, I mean, I almost called the book uh, Magic for Muggles, but uh, I was kind of worried about using that word. I didn't want to get sued. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, if you remember when all those kids had the fan sites uh, before uh, adults realized what the internet was, not when Harry Potter came out, you know, 2001 or whatever, that sort of era, yeah. they, uh, all these kids had these fan sites with, you know, harrypotter.com and all these different things, and they all, they all had the shit suit out of them, like, until there was media stories. I don't know if you remember this, or people might not remember this, but it was really hilarious, like, cause this major corporation was suing these, like, preteens who knew how to reserve URLs, build websites, and build fan sites, and they were getting all these hardcore letters from lawyers being sued, and it's like, what? <laughs> and they were, like, crying and stuff, you know, <laughs> until eventually the press got a hold of it, and people were like, oh, these are children. Maybe we should go a little easy on them, let them keep a few of their, their fan sites and all of that, because, you know, J.K. Rowling's not a cruel uh, person, it seems, or certainly, uh, you know, it... it, it they laid off after it got out who these people they were suing were. It wasn't like adults trying to make a buck. It was mostly kids who just liked Harry Potter. Oh God. It was pretty funny though. Corporation sues children for fan sites. <laughs> that would have been a great name for the, the book. Um, but I also like hacking the human experience. Well, thanks. Uh, you it's, know, uh, you are one of the few people that have actually, you know, spent some time with the book. Uh, I know I think that's about 20 people. I think maybe five actually read it. People don't seem to read these days. Oh, well, um, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, I don't know. Yeah. Don't even get me started on that. I mean, I read so, I so think, much. I think it's kind of dis- disconcerting, you know, I mean, I, I do too. And, you know, I have that, what I consider to be, you know, an okay library at the house and, 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 you know, it's just like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actually ready for the EMP from the sun to come. That way I, I will have plenty to do, you know, <laughs> and for everybody else, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, it's, it, do you think everyone has realized in the last couple of years how much more vulnerable we are than we might have thought, or do you think they haven't realized it? Because, 
no. you guys got crazy <laughs> snow in Austin last year that killed some people. So that that's a reminder of vulnerability. Our power, our food shortages, all this sort of stuff, like, can just go go away like that. Yeah, it can. But I mean, I don't know. I, I quite frankly, I don't think hardly anybody's prepared. You know, they're, mm. they're say preppers make up like what, like four percent of the population. That's that's not a lot. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, you know, they turn the water off for the day and all of a sudden you're like, wait, how do I live? <laughs> uh, if you live in a city, you don't have uh, that many options. If uh, I don't know. Well, we can be spiritually prepared, right? Exactly. And uh, that's what I try to be. And uh, I really don't have a choice in the matter anymore. Hmm. Yeah, we were, well, we were talking about that before we started. Uh, the there is the the privilege to be in places like Canada or or Texas where you are, or other places where you still can, in theory, uh, you know, you can go out into nature and get a little piece of land and and do your own thing. Um, unfortunately, like you know, Europeans don't really have that option so much, and so many people are just, uh, our, our fates are tied to our, our cities and our technology now, it feels like. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I mean, I just here recently moved out of the city, and uh, I'm in the, right off the suburbs now, a nice piece of land, we got, we got well water, <laughs> we're in the valley, <laughs> 14 acres, and uh, it's great. The only thing about it is, I, I don't get a cell signal there. Oh, wow. You know, it's, it's it's nice about four days out of the week, but there's three days out of the week where it's kind of a hassle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you have internet because that's how we're talking, right? Nope, I sure don't. I'm sitting oh. in the parking lot of a convenience store that's about oh. uh, I don't know eight miles away from. <laughs> oh damn! Are you gonna? Is that something you're gonna um, change down the road? Because uh, yeah, actually, 30... we have we we do have service coming in the next few months. Uh, we just have to be patient until then. So you're going to become a farmer or get some goats or what's the plan? No, I'm thinking of honeybees. Honeybees. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Honeybees. Yeah. yeah we had some beehives uh, where I was in California the other year and it was pretty cool to, to walk past them every day and see them doing their thing and just realize, Hey, they're just making honey. They're on, you know, <laughs> that's I it. The upkeep is, you know, not that bad. Uh, they don't, poop all over the place and uh yeah can't go wrong with a bee really and they produce honey yeah oh yeah like i i would watch the contractor on the grounds take out the honey sometimes and just take some stuff out of it and like you know enjoy it he always was convinced he never needed to wear the bee suit and every single time he got the shit stung out of him <laughs> every single time he's like oh no it's fine it's fine and he's like ah i got a bunch of steaks <laughs> it's like dude <laughs> Yeah, I think but, I would wear the suit. <laughs> but at the same time, sort of God bless him, right? Like once upon a time, I'm sure that's just how you had to do it. <laughs> wow. Before they whoever invented yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he, he likes that honey. Uh, <laughs> so bees would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, because you're close, you're not far from Austin, so it makes sense that you could no, get, I'm not far you at should all. have the internet and all that stuff. Well, thanks for taking the trouble to sit in a convenience store parking lot to do the podcast. That's uh, flattering. Yeah, I'm getting a few weird looks, but other than that, yeah, it's not bad at all. Yeah, you're just making a, a, a international uh, 
you know, drug deal with Canadians. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Through a podcast using coded language. Exactly. Through a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my Bitcoin address. Oh God. Say hello to CSIS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what in, 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 um, another thing that was interesting about well, that's interesting about your your book is that you come like as you and you and I met in the Golden Dawn in '97, of course, right in, in in Cali. For those who don't know, and so we've known each other a long time. But you have, in more recent years, gotten very serious and much more focused on Martinism and the yeah. Order Martini Souverain. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, très bien. You know, just really. So you're drawing from in both love those traditions. With, with, I fall in love with the Elo Cohen system, and I mean, it's just amazing. It, it's, you know, as far as systems goes, it's basically unexplored. Yeah. Um, no matter how much I talk to people who are in it and have friends who have, have, who have been in it, I still feel like I know nothing about it, and I think a lot of people sort of uh, feel that way, um, which is really interesting. I mean... It, it does. It mainly comes from the disconnect that there was between um, the occultists on the continent of France and Germany and such, and the stuff going on in England. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, definitely. And I, I tell you what. Other than the numbering system, I think Martinism is just amazing. But the number, I, I still can't get the numbering system down because I don't know. I guess. Because I've spent so many years and decades, you know, working the, the other Western mystery number system, that this one is just so foreign to me. It's just like ah. So, what do you mean by the Martinist numbering system? But, you know, uh, Pascal, he, he did his, he did his own thing with the numbers, and uh, it's. I mean, if you've never seen it, you know, <laughs> I'll send you I'll send you a sheet on it. You know, <laughs> I mean, the numbers. It's just it's just it's it's foreign to me. And uh, and because of that, I don't know. I, I just have an aversion to it. I don't know why. Are these like in place of Kabbalistic gematria, or exactly? Yes. Okay. In, in place of that, yeah. So it's completely foreign, and it, it, to me, it makes no sense. But I, you know, to others, once if they if that's the first numbering system they've learned, oh, it makes total sense to them. And it's just like, whoa. Good on you. <laughs> I don't get it. Huh. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I've never really looked into it. I, I stayed more on the, focused on the I think the it was German one of those things where, you know, Pascal, he, he didn't want to transmit the Kabbalah, you know, he didn't want to break the rules. And so he's like, well, we need numbers. So uh, here's a numbering system. Oh, weird. He didn't want yeah. to divulge the secret mysteries of Kabbalah to the profane. That's good. Exactly. Surprise! Pretty much already well known, just not by Gentiles. Yeah, no doubt. Well, it's like that reminds me of Crowley's uh, famous statement. You know, he took all these vows, was initiated, and then entrusted with the great eternal mystery of the Hebrew alphabet. <laughs> it's like, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the OMS is really they've, they've got some amazing books coming out. I mean, um, we just had one, the Ten Lessons. Come out, and then we have another one: secret instructions for Elo Cohen chiefs, uh, and uh, some amazing work coming from the, the the people in the OMS, without a doubt. Yeah. 
how many major Martin disorders would you say there are in the world? Major? Uh, maybe about five, but there's probably hundreds of Martin disorders, though. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it like that, because there's probably hundreds of GD groups, right? But only, say, five or six major orders. Um, so it's sort of parallel, I guess, to that. Yeah, uh, but I think... Uh, you know, as far as the Elecon goes, we, we have some scholars that have discovered some amazing things. And really, for the most part, I, I hate to say it like, like, I, like I'm going to say it, but there's really no other way to say it. Uh, they're all doing it wrong. Uh, you know, oh, wow. there's, a, there's some uh, manuscript errors made uh, early on that have continued to, you know, promulgate throughout all the groups and... Uh, like, for instance, uh, you know, they're using this, uh, like the seventh degree as the fourth degree, and they don't even know what the fourth degree is. And it's just like there's a lot of the other higher degrees are just missing. They, don't have, they didn't even know they exist, but uh, we found them. So they do exist. They're, our, they're out there. Wow. That, that's uh, uh, almost painfully reminiscent of the issues in uh, the GD world and scholarship. Yeah. Right, like, uh, yeah, damn. It reminds me of you know all the people claiming to use the AO Alpha and Omega uh, initiations for all those years, but they can't show them to you because they're secret. But and then <laughs> and then Farrell releases the actual ones, and everyone's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Well, when in doubt, just make it up. Right, that's how the occult works. Hey, you know. There's, there's a lot to be said about that. There really is. I mean, I, mean, you know, I was you joking. Know, but... you, you might be making it up, but, you know, you put enough energy behind it and it starts to mean something. For sure. I was just actually today reading um, uh, 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 Frater Yechida's story about um, and reference to the fact that in, in, in the five books of mystery, the, the angels tell D that the table he makes is only to be used for 30 days, in fact. And a lot, apparently a lot of people overlook that. And Yehuda then recounts the story of, I think it was one of his teachers, who, uh, because of that, talked to the angels. And they described a slightly different table for him to make for his own personal working that was quite different radically different from the traditional table. And the reason was because, hey, look, the angels only told D to use this for 30 days, and maybe that's because we're, you know, each practitioner is meant to be given their own table or something from the angels. And I thought that was quite an interesting point, and it's, a, it's certainly apropos of what you're saying uh, about the... Without a doubt. You know, uh, sometimes, yeah. I mean, if, it's some, if some practitioners, like, I've been working this system for years, and they told me to make my own version for my working, it's like, no one's ever going to fault that, Right. If you try and change, if, if you try and publish it and say, this is the true table that the angels have finally revealed to me, then it's like, now we have a problem. <laughs> exactly. Or um, this is the table that angels told me that you should use. You know, that's the, yeah. Now, now, we're in, uh, now we're in familiar territory, aren't we, Fratter? <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. That's how you, you can always spot a fraud like that. Whenever the, whenever the angels have the message for you that they didn't come directly to you, Somebody else is trying to tell you that. Don't listen to them because they're full of shit. Yeah, yeah. From if time the to time, have a message for you. They'll get it to you. That's for sure. They know how. Yeah, they they um they they've never, in my experience, been very incompetent. Um, 
Yeah, not at all. Yeah, like uh, it's crazy almost sort of the things in the the strange routes life will take or circumstances in life will take sometimes that seems so absurd or, or roundabout, but then you see the operate you know the intention behind it and you can see those those mechanisms in motion to get you where you need to be or to manifest what you're willing and it's can be pretty far out uh these, oh, yeah, definitely. The, the way these things come about because sometimes you know especially when working with these spiritual creatures i mean sometimes it seems like they have to do things in ways that don't make sense for us for them to occur and that's one of the strangest things about it but yeah, well, sort of exciting too, I guess. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I had, I, when I was doing my Anokian work back around the turn of the century, uh, you know, I used, I used the traditional table, and I had, I guess, for lack of a better word, tons of success. I mean, well, I found yeah. the angels very willing, very willing to talk, very eager, as a matter of fact, you know, Every time, every time you make a connection, it seems like they've just been waiting for you. You know what I mean? It's just like finally you made it. Where we've been waiting for you. Here, here's yeah. like three, four gigs of information. Digest it all in ten minutes. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the uh, yeah, both both with the 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 deep purist method with the table and all the bells and whistles and with the GD method, because we did both uh, when I was in the Golden Dawn in 5.6, we did both. We actually practiced both of those methods. I didn't realize they were distinct methods, actually, at the time. I was just I was too busy learning things I didn't know to worry about that, right? Plus, we didn't have nearly the literature out that we have today. And, and what does it matter when you're learning from hands-on people like, you know, Ramsey's anyways, right? You're just, you know, right. show me show me how you do this so that it works. And it was phenomenally um, successful. Actually, one of the things that's interesting I've noticed in doing some of the uh, experimenta without all the tools is is quite telling. Like, when, when me and uh, another adept in Vancouver used to do... Uh, full table Enochian stuff in the traditional sort of way. You know, we might open with some, some GD style rituals or a watchtower or something like that, but, but mainly it was traditional, um, you know, with the prayers and the calls, the, the ease with which we were able to get many hours of communication with all those tools. That's what sort of, when you remove like the table or the, or the sigillum or replace it with the tablet, that's what I've noticed is sort of what fluctuates, like the clarity of communication or the speed at which um, you can establish a firm connection or even the ability to maintain it. It's been very interesting to experiment with that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah but, it, but it does show you that really the, the most important tool to have when you do ritual is your mind. Because that really and truly that's all you need to establish any connection. I mean, the tools will help, definitely, without a doubt. But what you need is to have a sharp mind, and you really, you really you just need to meditate. Because that's, that's the best tool for your brain. And, you know, I can't stress that enough for anyone out there who's just wanting to make any type of connection. Meditate. You know, the, the answers will always come through meditation. Yeah. I also think one of the most important things about meditation is it's very hard to d 
just maybe it's not very hard, but the more you meditate, the much easier it is to distinguish your thoughts from sort of alien and foreign communications, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, and, and that, that's, that, that's, the, that's the only way you're really going to get to know yourself. And once yeah. you know yourself, you know what's not yourself. And that, then you can determine, okay, that this, this thought, you know, this stream of thought is not coming from me or from the well I usually draw from. So let's explore it and see what it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's actually one of the reasons I've started recommending automatic writing practices more and more these days to people because that's sort of a, uh, another side to meditation and a very interesting way to develop that sort of image streaming uh, uh, flow state. But then you have the ability to look at it after and be aware of where your mind was filling in blanks versus where your mind was open to the, the communique. And you know, I, I think that somewhere along the line, you know, channeling got a really bad rep in the occult world, and you know, a lot of a lot of schools took it out of their curriculum. But there's a lot to be said for channeling, and uh, I, you know, I, I think it should be brought back in now that enough time has passed because uh, the, the practices there are phenomenal. I mean, if you don't take channeling and and scrying seriously then you're essentially forced to be restricted to only operating with the goal of having full physical apparitions appear and speak with a physical voice and that is so rare if it wasn't we'd probably have it on video by now exactly Someone would have filmed it because all these people who you see on these uh, grimoires, purist and expertise groups on Facebook, tons of the amount that claim to to do that are are is a large number of people who claim to. Oh no, we don't do scrying. We just we only go for not just physical appearance, full spectral manifestation in a physical way. And often, you know, I hear people say just like John King and uh, and uh, you know. Julio Caesar Odi do, and uh, I think there's a problem with this. I think there's a problem with this, and most uh, I see a lot of people noticing that problem with this idea that it's not valid communication if it comes through our consciousness. There's a new movement going back towards this almost supernaturalist view of these beings as needing to penetrate and break through our reality in a shocking and very unnatural way, I would say, otherwise, you know, declared invalid. And it, it I'm not sure if it's upstarts who are, who are, who are leading this sort of uh, fantasist charge or if it's, um, or what's really going on. I'm not sure what's going on, I think, but it, you know, I think part of it has to do with our fascination and, dogmatic view of the scientific method. Okay. You know what I mean? The, the scientific method has, has become basically, it's, it's like a religion phase. And uh, unless you do it the, the way that other people say you must do it, then they, they consider it invalid. But I'd say channeling is, is taking the small steps to getting to the full apparition. 
Sure. You know, it's well, like it's like knocking it's like knocking on the door and then making a telephone call and then meeting for coffee and then finally, oh, you'll come to my house. Hey, you know what I mean? It's, I think it's the baby steps that you need yeah. to take in order to to walk. Well, could you imagine like um, your buddy calling you up and saying or texting, being like, "Yo, can we talk on the phone for a minute?" It's like, sorry, I only do person-to-person, in-person conversations now. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird to me. <laughs> like, like you, uh, you might stop calling that dude. <laughs> you might stop texting him, and maybe the spirits might stop uh, working with you as well. If uh, the way that is easiest for them to communicate with you isn't good enough, and you need them to show up at your door. Physically. Exactly. I mean, it's just like, I've been trying to talk to you for years and you're, you won't pay attention to me. And now you just want me to show up? Yeah, come, no, 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 thank you. Yeah, Skinner mentions the amount of people who, uh, who are looking for too large a sign of, of the Spirit's presence. Like, they're looking for you know, too much of a sign and ignoring the actual sign of the Spirit's presence, which is sort of insulting to the Spirit, right? It's like, yo, these are, these are known signs that I'm here and anyone who's slightly clairsentient worth even a, a tiny bit should be able to feel it. I mean, there's so many physical tells when spirits actually show up. It's a little bit, it's so overwhelming most of the time uh, that, that I, it's hard to imagine for, so, for people like us, I'm sure that how people could be unclear about that. But for those who are unclear about spirits actually showing up and whether they're there or not, I mean, yeah, to, to I think it's Adley Nichols who points out, pointed out that there's actually even a tradition in the grimoires. Is that a guy, Adley Nichols? Is that, am I saying that name? Is that who's a surreal? I'm, that's I'm, a, no, I, I'm um, learning something right now. Anyway, the, he points out, I saw him um, point out that there's actually a tradition in the, amongst the grimoires uh, of warning magicians from um, demanding too, uh, too much from the spirits in terms of how the degree to which they appear. Because, and that if you, spend too much time. So there's a tradition in the grimoires going back over a thousand years where it's, it's quite well known by them that if you spend too much of the time trying to get the spirit to manifest better and better, you know, you just might exhaust it and yourself or the whole operation in the process. And then you're just constantly, all you're doing in all your evocations is just trying to get some sort of manifestation. And it's just, uh, I think it, it, ultimately it's sort of um, superficial. Uh, in your, in, yeah, and, it, it, it speaks poorly of your intentions and convictions, I think. You know, and another thing about it is that, you know, a lot of the spirits are they're different. And the, yeah. the ways they communicate with you are different. And some people might not, you know, see into the astral very well. Other people might, might not hear very well. Uh, other people just might not feel their presence. But all the spirits, they will contact you the best way they can. And if you don't know yourself... If you don't have a firm grasp over what you are and where your thoughts come from and how all of that works, you are not going to be able to tell the difference between a spirit contacting you and you just having an itch or you hearing something faintly that just might not be there or if you see some shadows over in the distance, but you're just going to dismiss it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Too many people these days are not comfortable with themselves. I mean that that could almost be the 
the the line of the times, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I I meet so many non-practicing people who are lost when they are alone. They don't know what to do, especially if you take the phone away from them. They they don't know how to function. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I, I mean, um, on, honestly, today I've not actually even uh, looked at my phone uh, once, uh, other than to send you the Zoom link, and uh, <laughs> or even seen if I've missed calls or have messages or anything. And when people find that out, because sometimes people are like, "Hey, man, I, I didn't hear from you at all yesterday." I'm like, "Well, I didn't look at my phone yesterday." And they can't believe it. They can't believe it. It's like, <laughs> I, you know, if I'm, if I'm constantly distracted, it's the greatest enemy of any writer or, or maybe any person, period, is constant distraction, right? So, like, you got to have your notifications turned off. you got to take these sort of measures if you want to be able to actually get through a book in a day. Uh, yeah, it's just no that doubt. simple. You know, let alone in the quiet time between necessary survival activities and ablutions if you want to find those silent spaces to uh, talk to yourself or other things or just feel alive and be in your in in that silent space of living right you're not going to do it if you've got things beeping all the time and demanding you know that you uh heart back the heart that someone hearted you right (laughs) it's like that's lovely and all it's cool that we can do that but we've we've definitely seems let it to let it take control of us in a weird way. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I went through a book in just a day. That's uh, that's quite a feat there you've got. Oh yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I guess uh, yeah, I've, I've been you know, well you know we're still locked down, right? I, I'm not I'm not allowed to go to a restaurant. <laughs> I can't oh, yeah. go. I can't work. I- in this country legally. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. So if you're, if you're, yeah, there you go. Two years of lockdown will, will help you read. If, uh, you know, fortunately here in Texas, you know, it's pretty much like, like normal back to, back to normal. It's not the new normal. It's the old normal. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, Texas is sort of a outlier in the world right now. Yeah. We'd like to be that way. Hey, man, France, you know, uh, France was actually warning us about this a long time. And when I was there in, in, in Toulouse in Paris in 2019, um, uh-huh. they, were, they had the riots going on every weekend. And I ended up meeting with, uh, talking to a lot of other musicians and, and punk kids who were protesters and, and medical doctors because I spent some time in a hospital there. And I was like, because everyone in North America is, were hearing that they were protesting for these years and burning down like the Champ d'Elysees and all these other beautiful places every weekend in an organized fashion over gas prices. And that was the news in North America. And that is, it was shocking to be there. And I was like, well, this is about gas, right? And everyone was like, what are you saying? What? I was like, isn't it? That's what we're told in North America. They're like, No. None of this has to do with gas. Like this has to do with inequality and totalitarian rulership that's increasing in the in France, and the people are pissed off about the what what they were how they were being treated. Like you know, uh, the French have a history you know, of revolting against these sort of authoritarian, corrupt leaders, and that's mm-hmm. they were they were protesting. You know, and I heard today even someone mentioned like, oh, well, they're all praise protesting. It's like no, they've been protesting this point long before we even realized it was a, a problem on a global scale. And that you know, was a it, big it's eye. Kind of like, 
kind of like a thing here in America. We like, we like to rag on the French. And, yeah, I know. You know <laughs> but, <laughs> well, but, who doesn't? But I tell you what, the French know how to protest. I will give them that. They protest like nobody's business. And uh, we, have, we could learn a lot from the French when it comes to protesting. Yeah, they had their own special medical people in orange vests and all of these things. Um, but, like, in the month that I was there, in one town alone, the cops knocked out over 22 eyeballs from people by hitting them on the heads. Damn. Yeah. There's like an That's eyeball. It's got to be a special technique, dude. You know, you don't just do that by accident. Nightstick to the side of the head, yeah, it disables the person, and well, you know, sometimes they die. Wow. Yeah, but and they, and they, yeah, these organized protests. I mean, that's why every city in France is, France is, was like had these big signs uh, saying like, "Do not go downtown on the weekend." <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> like, yeah, so on the weekends, I did not go to city centers. And just stayed, uh, you know, on the other areas. and <laughs> Because, yeah, it was dangerous. And uh, to realize that they basically, they, they, were on, they were on to some global issues that we all hadn't clued into yet, you know. Um, and uh, so and there's, and that's why they're still protesting, because nothing's really changed. It's just gotten worse. I mean, I, I know here in Austin, you know, we had the protest, you know, that we're trying to start up and, until that one guy with a rifle in the street got shot by the driver and then uh then that pretty much quelled everything and uh, i mean I, I don't know i guess i guess it's fortunate but uh yeah things are pretty much normal here i haven't seen sign of anything like that i i, I can't actually it's been about four days since i saw somebody wearing a mask wow wow that's, I mean, here we still have people wearing masks alone in their car and people, you see these really fit guys on bikes doing like their, you know, fit guy bicycling, not normal bicycling, but the fit guy bicycling, like wearing double masks. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the norm that I've noticed. Like when I see someone really fit biking, usually have at least a mask on, if not two. That's so bad for your body. <laughs> You're not getting any oxygen. <laughs> well, and then, the, but, and then. And then in the evenings, they can go out, because they're vaxxed probably, to a club and make out with a bunch of people and not worry about COVID because they're vaxxed. The irony is that's how it's still transmitting because it doesn't stop it <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, it does a bit. It does. It does. Listen to your doctors, folks. Which, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes. Don't, do not, I do not give out medical advice, but I can tell you got COVID is full of shit. You know, I can tell. You look at the homeless population. Yeah, right. I mean, if COVID was a real thing, the homeless, they'd, they'd be wiped out. You would think so. Maybe, um, maybe, um, maybe there's some uh, unknown uh, immunity provided by crack or heroin. Or sunlight. Or sunlight and exercise, because that's <laughs> all they do is walk around in the sun all day <laughs> looking for... Uh, yeah. Socks. Yeah. The biggest crisis among homeless people in Vancouver to this day in my life has been, they need socks. Like we just can't even get them enough socks. And so, Hey, um, they're not worried about COVID when they don't have socks. I hey, guess. I'll tell you what, I, I could use a few more pairs of socks myself. But, I mean, hey, socks are awesome. Whoever invented socks, big points. No doubt. Yeah. I think I got a medal. 
Yeah. Huh. Is there an evocational system in the in Martinism? Oh, uh, well, not in Martinism per se, but in the Eleuthorian there there are. And what's yeah. it What's it like? How is it compared to other systems of evocation? Uh, it's very much like the traditional grimoire system. I mean, lots of candles, lots of incense, lots of prayer, robes, the whole the whole nine yards. Really, I mean, it, it's truly you know what you think of when you think of magic. And there, huh? the angels that they, that they contact, you know, the angels, I mean, there, there might be a few in the 2400 registry there that, you know, you might have heard of, but other, other than, I'd say, maybe a dozen, two dozen tops of 2400, none of these angels I've ever heard of. And are they, they are very, uh, I, like I, don't, I don't, I, I don't know for, for sure if they're unique, you know, cause I've, I've, have not explored every, you know, system, but I've, I've never come across them. And I, I tell you what, they are easy to contact and they are chock full of great information. That's another thing people should remember when, when communicating with angels and spiritual creatures, right? Like whether you think it's, your own mind being inspired to provide this information or the being communicating that information or the being inspiring your own mind to communicate certain ideas to you. The, 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 the basis for judgment really is still on the quality of the information, right? Exactly. Less on the, the, more on that than the quality of the communication. Maybe if people spent less time worrying about the quality of the communication and worrying about the quality of the information, that would because people you hear you hear about grimoire practitioners who are really bad psychically don't really can't really find any form of communication and all these things. So will they just do the, go through the motions and 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 bind the spirit to a purpose? But why do they keep doing these things even though they're so poor at communicating or getting a manifestation or anything like that? Because when they bind them for the purpose, it seems to work. So they keep doing it, even though that's really all they can do. And that's very interesting to me, right? Because if you can make that work, then it will, can, uh, you know, sort of uh, show you that it's, it's something that can be built on incrementally. And that if they can do this thing, then obviously the communication can still happen. You just sort of might have to do a bit more work on yourself to meet them halfway or maybe do more precautions like more days of fasting. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't like fasting. You know, I have, I have to do it sometimes. I just don't like it. I can't even do the keto thing because 16 hours seems too long. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, 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 I frequently in the works I've done operations I've done this year have, uh, you know, I've done some experiments with where I, I did three days of, of fasting prior to the operation with the, the other people. And I did ones where I didn't. Uh, I did some uh, Nokian operations where um, I didn't eat the day of the operation until the operation at 5 p.m. And then days once when I did, and I was really interested in actually just really getting to know myself and compare the differences it made. And one thing I noticed just really plain as day was the fasting the day of leading up to the, the operation made the communication much clearer. It just felt, it just came, it was, the results was clearer. You know, it was yeah, easier. I, it it you know, was smooth. 
I'm aware that there's a whole, uh, a vast number of, of angels and other beings that I probably will never be able to contact because I don't do that. Fortunately, so? yeah, but yeah, I, I kind of do. I do think, you know, there, there is something to be said about all that. But fortunately, there are uh, endless amounts of non-corporal beings out there that you can make contact with when you don't uh, as well. So, I mean, I, I, maybe I will, you know, never really make great connections with that, that one class of angels that, you know, just need you to, to, to do the things a certain way. But there's enough angels that, you know, are just happy to be talked to, you know, that uh, I, I'll spend my time with those for right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it reminds me of like one of my, my, one of my buddies here in Vancouver is, you know, he, he's a very devotional Norse practitioner. He doesn't ever do work with other people really, but, but he, uh, you know, has his altar and, and worships, you know, Odin and stuff like that. And when he does, uh, uh, his magical operations, I mean, they involve him making his own mead. They involve him making, uh, roasting some animal, <laughs> setting a plate and, and sharing a meal basically with his gods. And some spirits are, you know, want you to be pure and chaste and, and not have, you know, done anything sinful in three or nine or 14 days and some gods and spirits want a feast and might want a plate of pork uh and a horn of mead and some beings probably even want ganja and, and tobacco and rum so it's yeah you don't that's something worth considering though it's interesting to me that you still feel that yeah some beings don't like that and would rather communicate with a purified person sort of yeah you know I, i'll give angel three three shots you know <laughs> what i mean I'll, I'll i'll do invocation three three times and if i'm not getting anything i'll move on to the next one well that's also yeah i mean the grimoire tr tradition apparently attests to um the fact that yeah different people are gonna different spirits will want to communicate more with different people and uh exactly. it's, it's, I mean, it's it's not it's about doing the all, spirits are so 17. much like people, you know, and, and just like, just like people, there's some people you, you want to hang out with and some people that you'd rather not spend any time with at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just normal. You know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm very fortunate that, you know, I have the ability to, to, to go astral, you know, and every time I do, and anytime I see something, I, I always, I, I always move towards it, go towards it. I've talked to it. And, you know, if they don't want to talk to you, they will let you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they'll just get out of there. And it's, it's really simple. So, I mean, a lot of people, when they go astral, you know, they'll see a bunch of things and I'll say, well, well, did you go talk to it? Did you, did you approach it? And they go, no, I was just looking at it. I was like, if they, if they wanted to talk to me, I, I figured they'd come to me. I go, no, you're being dumb. Yeah, you know, no. Go up to them. Go up Interact. to them and talk to them. Interact with the environment. It's crucial. It, it is very crucial. I mean, otherwise, you know, you're just a spectator, and you're not going to give any information like that. It's like almost when it's like when you go to Tatua realms, where you know we vibrate the <laughs> the Hebrew divine names after you're in the Tatua realm, not before. Whereas, like if you're scrying a sigil, you might vibrate the hierarchy of names. 
and then scry the sigil. But in the Tatra realms, we use the visual image. It reverses in our retina, and then we enlarge it. We go in, right? And then in that realm, once you are in the realm, and it looks like the appropriate realm, then you vibrate the divine names, make sure the realm reacts appropriately to the divine names, but also those divine names are what activate the realm. And then you can start exactly. interacting with it. Yeah, it's an interesting point in, the, in that system. You know, and I, and I think another thing that a lot of people, you know, probably don't take into effect is, you know, their dreams after they do an invocation. You know, for, for the next, when you do an invocation for the next three or four days, you know, pay, really pay attention to your dreams because they could be trying to communicate with you through your dreams. And if you're not keeping a dream journal, I don't even know why you're, why you're doing the great work because, I mean, it's very, very important. You get a lot of information in your dreams. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. I have to like not smoke weed for like 30 days to remember my dreams. Wow. And you know, I can't smoke weed anymore these days. It's way too strong. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Uh, it's just like, I mean, even, even like, you know, just like a half a hit from one of those vape pins, then it's just like, God dang, it's crazy. I, I mean, they need to make they need to make weed for like old timers like me that are just like you know just have like I don't know maybe ten twelve percent THC because anything over twenty percent and forget it that's just too much for me. Well, we have all these lovely government menus now, so they tell you the the percent at everyone and all of that stuff. I know, and, but they're always so high, dude. It's crazy. Yeah, I, mean, I think you can find some weaker weed if you needed to. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think I think I'll just stick to the CBD. Yeah, why not? Yeah. So yeah, get all the benefits and uh, none of the mindful uh, distractions. Mm. Yeah. The only thing that that, that weed ever really did for me is really helped me regulate my breathing. It helped me focus on my breathing, but it elevated my heart rate so much that. I couldn't have any real good meditation to seem. Uh, yeah, mm. we never, never benefit. I never really benefited from it as far as magical work goes. Yeah, I can't. I don't know if I can say that I have. It it makes concentration harder, um, and concentration is so crucial uh, that that bothers me. Um, I think for some people, like especially people who might be dealing with certain things, then we might help free the mind up to focus a bit more, but it's never done that for me. Um, well, certainly know, not like mushrooms big, does. There's a big problem with concentration in general. You know, when you're a kid and when you're young, you know, people are always telling you to concentrate, 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 but they don't tell you how to concentrate. <laughs> they just tell you to concentrate and you're expected to know it like out of the womb. Yeah. But that's not how it works. You have to learn how to concentrate. And, you know, that yeah. takes, you know, will and mindfulness and paying attention. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that go into being able to concentrate. You just can't say, oh, I'm going to concentrate now and, you know, hope, that, hope for the best. Yeah, I mean, that's where I, both, you know, the, med- the simplest meditations, like from either the Golden Dawn Meditation One or Franz Barden's practices, were such a revelation for me because even though I had, done a lot of transcendental meditating as a kid when i discovered those guys it was like these different techniques that if you did them 
separately had the cumulative result of helping you concentrate. So it's like, sometimes it's hard to do things by just doing that thing. But if then, if you build up the different associated muscles or, or tools that you need to do that thing, all of a sudden it just works uh, much more easily. So the combination of mindfulness of watching your thoughts and letting them go, the com- mixed with this, the separate technique of focusing on the single point. And then the final, you know, another technique of, of just being at one with everything between those three exercises, which are separate by doing all of them, somehow the the focus and concentration just became razor sharp. Yeah, it's like the, the sum total of those those different sort of techniques for me at least is what led to me developing my focus at a young age um, and learning how to and understanding what all these adults were talking about but not able to do themselves. <laughs> you know that you, know, you see that a lot in this practice. People will tell you what to do, but they don't really do it themselves. That was one of the first of things that, that, that rubbed me wrong about when I got into ceremonial magic and, and all of these things as a kid um, and started leaving the, the Maharishi world of my upbringing was the, the hostility from the TM practitioners was shocking to me. Like, that was when I realized that they like they don't not only do they think like they just how do i say it it wasn't well it definitely felt like they thought that every anything other than what they did was was invalid or pathetic and i'd never noticed right. that 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 sort of quality from these people before as long as i was doing the same practices as them right and doing what they do as soon as i deviated and started going to something else that i found a lot more a lot grander and more uh, useful and just more expansive um, uh, to realize to see that kind of that kind of um, hostility for, and, and and the kind of cultiness in it I was like oh damn you know like is, is there is this is this how, always how it's going to be in, in spiritual groups that like as soon as you try and deviate from what what they're doing or what their doctrine is are they going to you know, become all of a sudden start acting a little less spiritual towards you, you know? And it's like, it sort of seems that way. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know? But, I mean, it just, it just kind of goes to show you that, you know, no matter what arena you find yourself in, or you know, or what you do in life, there's always going to be people like that. And you just got to, got to know how to deal with them and or not let them get to you or bother you and just stay focused on what your goal is at hand. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, it's something recently I've just seen in spades as I've, uh, I finally took some time to dive into some of the real groups on Facebook. As much as I can't stand Facebook, there's a lot of amazing, you know, magicians and researchers doing a lot of amazing stuff in these groups and sharing it and talking about it, which is really phenomenal and, and doing some deep dives into the sort of purest camps of Enochian and grimoires. It's shocking how like their hostility to, to, people who don't do exactly what they do. Um, like the, in the Enochian purist camp, like they shit on the GD nonstop. And a lot of them are Thelemites, um, which is to me so strange that, that they're so hostile towards the original techniques that they are still using. Cause a lot of the OTO and AA uses golden dawn techniques often without understanding how they actually worked in the first place, but that's fine. That was more Crowley's fault than, than 
the current practitioner's fault. He didn't communicate well what they were actually about, um, either because he didn't know or because he wanted to make them his own anyway. Um, And so it's really strange for me to see these, you know, to see the, um, the double standard. So like, you know, they're a purist. A lot of people are a purist when it comes to the things they want to be a purist about. And as soon as you encounter something that should be done this way, if you're a purist and they don't, they have no problem with that because they're just picking and choosing, cherry picking the things that they're purist about. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Things that they're not. I'm just going to show you that there are control freaks everywhere. You know, and that, that's really all it's about. You know, they just want you to do it their way or, or and anything else is invalid. But what, what they forget is that the basic tenet of the universe is... Free will, you know, and what works for you might not work for anybody else, but as long as it's working for you, keep doing it. And now, a word from our sponsors. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or $6 a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I think we should have these groups that are um, rigorously staying on topic, uh, whatever their topic is. I think that's good. But I do think that it, that that new up-and-coming magicians need to sort of have a broader hermeneutic appreciation of how interpretation functions in human life, especially when you're looking at the development of traditions, culture, and manuscripts, and, and, and what that actually is. Like, there's something to be gained from the academic understanding of the fact that these are, um, these are, these are codified and sort of static um, artifacts, these manuscripts, of something that was alive and changing. But it's, it, our tendency is to look at things that are codified and see them as representatives of a static sort of platonic reality that was always this way, rather than placing them correctly in, in the living tradition they're in. And, and re- academics like Sophie Page and stuff, um, who's, she's, she's great, um, have, yeah, have done a lo- gone a long way to be like, hey, these guys were just using whatever they could use to get in touch with the spirits. After that, they pretty much discarded the grimoires and just worked with those spirits. Um, and that, that was quite an interesting observation, I think, for her to emphasize to the occult community when she talked on Glitch Bottle. I think I met yeah. her in England the other year, but I can't remember. I met too many people. I mean, but, and I tell you, that, that's basically a natural progression of doing the great part. I mean, it, it becomes very personalized in the later stages. And, I mean, I think, I think that's just, you know, natural. All the things that you learn in... in you know, in out orders and even in the inner orders, you know, it's just preparatory work to get you to where you can do it your way. Mm-hmm. And once you can, then keep doing it. 
and and like like I'm like I mentioned earlier, man, getting information that's, that's I don't know. I have a thirst, a real hunger for information, especially information that you can't find, you know, on, on the internet or or you know wherever. And beings have it, and I mean, I'm 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 loving it. You know, I, I think it's great, and I think you know it's, they're definitely useful and they're like tools and to not take advantage of that, I think you're missing out on a big part of life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you let it, the universe will conspire in your favor, but you have to let it. So that's a big, that's a big, point both in the occult world and also in the new age new thought sort of world but there's a difference to how we both understand that idea i think right so what does letting the universe conspire to help you mean how does that play out in your mind to me it's like you know it's like going to a restaurant you know what you want and you know you read the menu you find it you know you think oh i want that you tell the waiter your order. But then, you know, a few minutes later, you think, oh, well, you keep thinking about it, and you're thinking about it, and you're thinking about it, and then you want to change it a little bit, a little bit, and you, you, tell the, you call the waiter over, and you tell them how you want it changed. So then they have to send that back to the kitchen. And they might have started your order already, but now they have to start it again. And if you keep doing that, you're never going to eat your food. To me, that's, that's, that's manifestation. If you want something, you actually desire it, you know, spend some time, think about it, try to manifest it, and then stop thinking about it. Because every time you think about it, after that, it's like you're changing the order. And the chef has to start all over again. And you'll yeah, never I... get what if you don't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've had to. I've recently had to emphasize that to some of uh, my my peeps after we've made some uh, done some talisman work. It's like, look, stop. Don't think about it after. Like, you know, really try and be silent in your mind around it. Let it do its thing, and give it time, and and get your mind off of it. I mean, that is the the idea of to keep silence. In in I mean, what's really interesting about the idea of to keep silence is Franz Hartman points out that it's not about secrecy regarding your work. It's about keeping that silence in your life to, so that you can hear the divine voice, which is very, very much like letting, if you create a talisman, that's a part of God. That's a divine voice manifested and and charged to this thing. It's a little mini portal to a certain frequency. Let that frequency ring out, you know, like the ending note of a song. Shut the fuck up. Let it ring out. Listen for it. And that, that idea of to keep silence goes back to what we were saying before with the constant distractions of our world these days, right? Like, if you don't give yourself space in your day for silence and to, to, to really listen and just be, you're, you're probably working against yourself. Yeah, without a doubt. Magically as well as just in, in terms of your basic mental well-being having all these bings and boops going on and demanding our attention scheduling out our whole day remember when we were growing up and and you know that was sort of de rigueur to to tell people that 
you know, the, uh, you know, the, the most successful people, they plan out every minute of their day. They, they, they do this and, you know, a lot of time for not having a plan, but the, everything's structured. And it, it's such a, it was, it was, I remember thinking at the time, it seemed so telling of where we were at in our sort of stage of development as a species, because it didn't really make sense to me in terms of any kind of universal truth. It's like, this is where we're at when people are telling you to plan things, you know, structure things, be successful. You have to get this, get that, get the house, get the dog, you know, die. And if you do that well, you are a success. It's like, what does that even mean? What did, yeah, why that is that generation? Like? You're part of that generation where the parents had, you, had every minute of your day planned out. But that wasn't, that wasn't my experience at all. I was part of the generation that, you know, your, your parents would let you leave on your bike in the morning and you just had to be home by dark. And yeah, that well, was that's, that was definitely, that was how it was for me, but I had an alternative sort of upbringing for sure. Um, I'm aware that my experience of growing up was very different to most kids of my generation. But for me, that's how it was. Like, yeah, like I, if I was back by sunset, they considered that a win. If I wasn't, then, you know, check on me eventually i guess <laughs> but <laughs> partly that's due to like a divorce you know um <laughs> uh yeah good times yeah good time it was it was a different uh world back then um, yeah without a doubt yeah but there was still definitely this idea even in that freedom of of like you need to plan like you know what do you want to be when you grow up you need to plan these things, other, and that's how things will work out. But what I've found, of course, through living, is that that is complete bullshit. Because it the is. best I way mean, to I rage. I rage against out. growing up. I will not grow up. <laughs> well, I see no value in it whatsoever. It also just wasn't true. It's like you, you can't just plan out your life like it's some sort of a computer program and then if, and expect that that is why things will go well. I mean, life is so fucking crazy. And if you don't, a much better skill than planning is a learning to adapt. Oh, definitely. I'd say. Like, yeah. yeah. Because things will happen that are not, were never part of your plan. Yeah, like what if the government says that percentage of your country isn't allowed to go to work where's all your plans now motherfucker exactly you know you got to adapt you got to figure out a way to survive now that you live in a you know tyranny what's and we have no playbook for that like that's why i think canadians are so 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 stunned right now uh, similarly to australians who i think are they're opened up now but they've they've been in a state of shock it seems like for a year like, wait, what? What's just happened? We, you know, <laughs> they were even given an alcohol limit and arrested if they went over it each day. <laughs> like, That's crazy. That yeah, crazy. yeah. If they found out you'd had more than six beer delivered to your house, cops would show up and arrest you or beat you or do whatever they wanted. And there's lots of videos of this outlaw online of people being uh, assaulted in their homes because they ordered too much booze and stuff. I mean, I hate to say or it, but that's what, hap- that's what happens when you let the government take away your guns. You know, I've been hearing this from my beloved friends like yourself since 97 when, I, when we met and, and, and uh, you know, coming from the Canadian world of anti-firearms and all that sort of thing. And 
hearing you guys talk of this sort of stuff back in the day, I just thought it was so absurd and silly. Now, now what? Now what do you think? <laughs> well, m- uh, my aunt's been up at uh, at this creek protesting uh, against them cutting down the old growth trees. Right? Uh, I don't know if this made national or global news, really, but the cops. She's been arrested multiple times. She's seventy three, a little red haired firecracker of a lady, and. Uh, she used to be married to a Texan preacher actually back in the day. And I visited her in Missouri in 90, 1990, but now she's back to being a West coast BC liberal protesting old growth trees, cutting down for deforestation with all these other hippies who were like rolling around naked in the mud to, to deter the cops from arresting and attacking. <laughs> and what the cops did. Um, so, cause what the cops were doing was they were holding people down and opening their mouths and, putting pepper spray in their mouths and down their pants and wow. then propping their legs up on, on boards and breaking them. And um, they, the cops were told to, to not wear ID and not bring badges or any identification with them. And they still aren't. They're still enforcing these laws and abusing these protesters. And they, there's no ID on them. And, and, and the reason it was because, well, if we had ID, then you'd be able to, like, you know, do things. And, and the whole country's okay with this. Yeah, we took like, a wrong turn somewhere. I, I like, don't know where, but uh, yeah, that's that's unacceptable. In what world are we not all up in arms about our government telling cops to not wear ID so they can't get in trouble for the abusing citizens uh, day day in day out? This has been going on nonstop for a while now. Yeah, that is not my timeline. Like what the fuck? And no one has a problem with this, really. I mean, not really. If they did, it would stop it would be stopped, but it's not being stopped because no one actually cares except the few people protesting and the people funding them. You know, I tell you uh, what, uh, you know, it's surreal. One good thing to come out of these vaccine mandates is that people have found their balls because I've, I'm, I'm very encouraged by how many people have just refused the mandate. Very encouraged. Yeah, there's still I'm, I'm, a lot of people doing it. You know, I say it's about, you know, from my from my perspective, it looks like about 50-50. I'm very surprised that, by how many people are protesting the mandates. And are like, yeah, no, I have no problem with vaccines. I'm vaccinated, but we shouldn't have mandates. Like, they're standing up for the point of freedom, which is really hopeful because that is the key, key point, right? Um you know, if, uh, this is this is mainly a test of compliance rather than anything else. Um, exactly. If, if, if they can get this noose over our necks right now, over the next year or two or whatever, I guess, or maybe it's some people say it's already happened. I don't think so because if it had, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation and exactly. have thousands of people listen to it. There's no way. Like if it was over, this wouldn't be possible. So it's not over. But damn, damn, do they want that news on us? Like the idea of, like, if 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 we create a world where the government's just going to keep injecting shit in us for the rest of our lives, I don't want to have kids in that world. Yeah, like, that and, would be and evil. That's, that's exactly what it is. I mean, the, the next, the, the third shot is already here. It won't be long until the fourth shot, and the fifth, then the fifth shot, and then and so on and so on. And yeah, that's just not for me. I mean, I, I've never really been a subscriber to the germ theory. In general, I'm more. I'm the. I subscribe to the Terran theory, 
And then you know, a lot of people don't know there's two contending theories about that. They think the germ theory, that's it. And there's nothing, no theory that opposes it. But there is. It's the Terran theory. And, uh, you know, a lot of people should look into it because it's, I think it's a lot more valid. I don't know, brother. Sounds like fake news. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how you can tell fake news? And, um, if, it's, it's on TV? If, if, it, if it's on TV, if it's <laughs> in a, a newspaper. If, if, you if know, it's got ads uh, running it, on it. Oh man, ads! That's that's a big that's a big it's tell like right there. Independent medical advice brought to you by Pfizer. <laughs> or if uh, if Snopes talks about it, you know, but pretty much whatever Snopes says, I do the opposite. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that is, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 actually pleased that you don't know what Snopes is. No, I'm not. Like I pretend to be sort of in touch with this stuff, but I'm. Uh, it's a. It's a show. I'm not really. <laughs> I'm too busy studying <laughs> studying grimoires and Enochian magic. <laughs> but like, I feel some civic responsibility to to sort of have my ear to the ground enough to maybe make a few plans for my own life and family and stuff, and also to have some sort of sense of safety, I guess, because th- these things can turn fast. Um, they always have in history turned fast when they turn like right now we're not allowed to go to stores and you know, but how, how quick is it to, you know, like you can't go so, to a store. I, you said? No, like, I can go to a shopping store, but I can't go to a restaurant. I've been sitting in this a, convenience store for the past hour and a half. Yeah. We can go to convenience not, stores if we're unvaccinated, I mean, but we can't go to a restaurant or anything like that. Only two people have looked at me funny. <laughs> yeah. And they weren't even employees. They were just customers. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, uh, I mean, as a celiac, I can't really eat out anyway. And I've never enjoyed going to bars and having drinks. That's not, uh, but I do, I do wish I could perform and play music and work. That would be nice. Um, and even though there's some maybe legal ways that you can do that right now in Canada, that they've created an atmosphere amongst the people that don't want that to happen, right? So there's, yeah, as much definitely. as there's people standing up to it, there's a lot of people are like, yeah, no, I just can't if, if you're not vaccinated. Fortunately for me, a lot of people, are, more and more people are getting educated and like understand that, you know, the antibodies are, are actually a good thing. So hopefully that'll change and maybe they might start to acknowledge that. Um, either way, you know, if I'm ever going to travel again, I'll have to get vaccinated. And that's just the, that's the weird thing. I just, uh, that's the, that's the sticking point. It's like the problem is that, that they're mandating this, even in cases where they know it could lead to the person's death. I mean, don't, don't and they're you... telling you to do it despite what you, we went from listen to your doctors. And now we we're at the stage in Canada of saying, ignore your doctors. They don't know what and they're talking to the about. Bureaucrat. Listen to uh, Mr. Uh, Brownface. Yeah. That's, that's ludicrous. It yeah. Really it, 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 that's, but so, so that people would have, we even have, we have clips of like Biden and, and, and Trudeau saying we'll never, that a year ago saying we're never going to mandate vaccines or restrict people's activities. They said that. Then they said, oh, we are. And it flipped like that from going to listen to your doctors to ignore your doctors and do as you're told. And so it switched so fast. No one seems to even really have noticed it. I mean, obviously, there's tons of mass protests around the world that aren't allowed to be televised, so people have noticed. But in my environment, it seems like people are like, meh, whatever. Things will be okay. 
And that's yeah, terrifying. It's, you know, we're, we're the frog in the pot and the water's getting warm. Yeah. What I'm thinking is when I, when I am, when I, what I, one thing I am confident in is that the longer, the more time goes by, the more we'll, like we're getting more stats on, like vaccines are getting banned, like the, the certain ones are getting banned. So it's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with waiting for a bit more information. I guess this counts as promoting hesitancy or some shit like that. But it's like, hey, I'm just, I'm just a listen to your doctor kind of guy. And, and, uh, and uh, that always made sense to me. And I always said, like, as soon as the doctor's like, yeah, yeah, he'll be fine. Take this one. I probably will, because I'd like to actually be able to leave my province again in my lifetime and have a life and work for a living. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, to make that a requirement, it's, it's just wrong. Yeah, well, if if I have to legally get... I mean, I know I'm supposed to go to Brazil to in get, April, and and I'm just I'm just praying that the timelines work out to where, you know, this is going to blow over by then. If not, yeah. I'll take the stupid test, but I won't take the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a rough one, but yeah, like I said, it's great to see people, you know, standing up for the freedom of choice. At least, like that's the one of the funniest things. Somehow, my body, my choice, <laughs> flips sides. <laughs> well, I mean, oh my god, you know, you know how the left is. It, there's no logic on the left. It's it's just emotional. Um, and yeah, if it happens to fall in line with logic, they'll claim logic. But if it doesn't, well, then you're a racist. But okay, so, so since we've touched on all this stuff, and 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 you're, you're you've always been my conspiracy buddy. Since we've touched on it, let's let's actually talk about it. You don't think this has actually anything to do with right and left or liberal conservative or any of that BS dualism, right? Like, no, this, not this at seems all. To, this not that is all a fucking smokescreen. Exactly. It's got to be because. Oh my god! That these, person's wearing a mask. I'll be damned. Like that you know, you can't wearing a mask. People, wow. people, okay, people sorry. were. Yeah, that's all right. Recently, um we were told that we could cross the border again, but that's actually not true. It's actually not true. You can drive across the Canadian border. So they acted like it was, but you actually have to have paperwork and all these things and pay all this money and all this stuff. But if you can, you can fly. So it's like, these are only laws targeting a certain section of the population. (laughs) Well, you know, if you leave from a private airport, you don't have to wear a mask and you don't have to do all these other things. You don't need a passport. The plebes need to do, so so it's no. not about right and left that's an illusion no. and we're magicians and the last thing we should do is get delu- uh, distracted by this fake dualism of right and left and we need to pierce the veil to what's really going on if we're going to actually stand up to the right thing and not just play into the manipulation and the, the you know the, if you were paying attention the- you'll notice a lot of this left right paradigm escalation occurred pretty much after the Wall Street protest. You know, when, when the elite realized that we were starting to catch on to their game and that it was really about classism and not about racism, that's yeah. when they really stoked the fires of the, the right-left 
divide. Yeah, you're right. That did that actually was the timing of it. And I mean, wow. it, it's it, it's worked out perfectly for them. Well, no shit. Yeah. Um, damn. Like because now all the uh, lower classes are against each other. Yeah. Yeah. They it, well successfully divided the average people on these issues. It's, it's, it's interesting. And I, I've noticed this because even amongst my social circle in Vancouver, like we have the full spectrum of, of opinions and that's been something we've all sort of noticed we've had to navigate and be sort of respectful of the fact that we get different information and we have radically different opinions on a lot of things. So we, we sort of either have to talk respect, respecting the other person or we can't talk at all almost. It's like the respect is more crucial than ever. Otherwise the conversation, no conversation will, will work. So that's an interesting sort of thing to, to have I mean, that I think, emphasized. I think again. I mentioned this before on the first time I was on the podcast, I lost so many friends in the occult world, you know, over the past four or five years that I, you know, I, that I never thought, you know, there could be anything that can kind of like divide us or, you know, you know, and now I can't even imagine a bridge to connect us. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, that is crazy. Uh, well, it was it was really st- shocking for me to notice when I uh, sort of started paying attention to the uh, culture, especially in the states, um, four or five years ago, and to notice that a lot of you guys, people who we had all been even in the same groups at times together. Um, won't talk to each other anymore over right-left political issue divides. And I was very surprised to see that because obviously things are have always been a little different here in Canada with our three-party system. We have less bifurcation. But to see that friends of mine who used to be friends with each other aren't talking because one's a Democrat and one's a Republican was really surprising because I was surprised to see that amongst initiates who should, in my opinion, seem to know better. We should know better. We, we yeah, don't always exactly. succeed in acting better, but we should theoretically. I mean, well, aren't we supposed to strive for the middle path? That's what I've been saying since COVID sort of started and the, the, the protests and all of that stuff. That was the only thing I really had to say on it. It's not about the black or white. It's about the middle pillar. And, uh, you know, that was, I guess, sort of my intuitive, you know, higher um, you know, perception that I felt was the best one to guide me through all of this. Um, and obviously it's, it's easy to get carried off one direction or the other at, at this time or that time distracted from that straight and narrow way. But like, how, how can, how can any good results come about if we're not trying to reconcile and balance these things? I just don't. Or if we're not even having a dialogue. Yeah. Without dialogues, the, that's the energy between the two pillars, right? Like that creates the pillar of consciousness in the, in the middle pillar, right? The consciousness of the middle pillar is the result of the polarities, just like how in a lot of our temple working, especially in the golden dawn, it has less to do with which direction corresponds to what element or planet. Cause that thing that shifts, it has more to do with what are the forms and the energies invoked and the polarities that the magician creates in the temple through either God forms or invocations or whatever, you know? So, we have to elevate our consciousness by allowing that conflict and, and polarity and conflict of dialogue to occur. 
I mean, it's just got to happen. And if we can't talk, that's why clearly uh, we're being shut down, right? We're being discouraged from communicating. And that's why yeah, I think yeah. podcasts like this, especially with people who uh, hold different views, is are so important. Like, that's one of the reasons I've always told people, I don't, I don't exclude people on this podcast because they believe something I don't believe with. Like, it would be so, like, there's podcasts out there where you can tell the, pe- the, the hosts are only talking to people they agree with. And it's right. uh, insanely boring. It's, it's mind-numbing. <laughs> I've tried to listen to some of them, and they're, uh, there's not much depth of information when you're only talking with people who agree and therefore know the same things you do. You could. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I think that's what makes Rogan's podcast so interesting. You know, he'll have anybody on and uh, he doesn't believe probably two thirds of the stuff, you know, that his guests believe. I heard to uh, a teller at the grocery store and a person discussing actually mentioned Joe Rogan. Uh, when I was in line the other day and um, the, the person said something, the, the, the clerk was like, Oh yeah. Uh, everyone, everyone tells me I should keep listening to Joe Rogan, but I'm just not into ultra right wing people. <laughs> and I was Joe just Rogan like, I, 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 I didn't say anything, you know, we're all masked up. I didn't want to butt in there. That was not the time and place to, that was not a teachable moment, but I just sort of was like, Oh dear Lord. Like, the world's gone topsy turvy when some when like left wingers are being described as right wingers and 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 I know uh, I mean you like stuff. half step away from the socialist, dude. I voted NDP in our election, and people still think I'm right wing. <laughs> I literally <laughs> voted for, for, for the socialist party. You know why? Because I was like, well, in my district, what's the best thing that we need? What's the main thing we need? Is what I asked myself, and I have always voted NDP. But I would have voted in another party if I thought it would have done something good this time. But I was like, what's the thing we need in Vancouver? We actually need housing because we've been fucked by China in a seriously devastating way. So those that that that's the only party that was going to give a fuck about the little guy at all. There was no other party that's going to give it it's not even on their agenda to pretend to care about the little guys. So I was like, I'm going to vote for the only party that even pretends to care. And they do, they would, they would, they do promote affordable housing and all these things. And the other parties just don't believe affordable housing matters at all. Like they literally, we have so many apartment buildings in Vancouver that were built under, under, uh, for low income people. And then as soon as they were done, the company was like, surprise, they're actually not for low income people and like selling them for half a million dollars a unit. Or a million five even actually is the price, really. It should be half a million, but it's a million five anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so they do these sort of like bait and switches on affordable housing. And it's like, oh, well, what can we do? Nothing. Well, I tell you, you know, I, I feel for you there because Austin is the most expensive place to live outside of California. Dear God, yeah. That's a, is that a new thing? <laughs> You can't even really buy a house here because, I mean, people snatch them up so fast, it's crazy. Yeah, our starting, the start, the lowest price of Vancouver is, t- 10 years ago, the lowest price of Vancouver for a property, I believe, in the Vancouver district was 1.4. And I can only imagine wow. what it is right now. Yeah, it was a big shock when we found out that the cheapest property that existed in Vancouver was 1.4 that, and there was a big story, headline stories about it and stuff. And uh, that was a while ago. Maybe it wasn't fully 10 years, but for it was a while ago. I remember. Uh, for any property in the Vancouver district, GVRD. If 
14 acres that's, I'm on is selling for 1.2, but that's 14 acres. Damn. Yeah, no, I'm talking about like a tenth of an acre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a little piece of land. Um, and I haven't paid attention that's, since then. That's because... 1.4 Canadian though, right? So that's what, like what, $100,000 American? Yeah, so this I guess would have been actually around eight, seven years ago because it was after I was in the market. We were in the market and we should have bought and we didn't. And like had we bought something for like, you know, uh, like a 300, you know, you could have gotten a two, three bedroom apartment downtown for like a few hundred grand. Had we bought it two years later, that property would have been worth millions. Wow. Probably the, probably the biggest uh, uh, mistake we've made, um, honestly. Eh, we all make mistakes, though, hey? Um, yeah. Me and my sister talked about it the other day, and we're like, damn, if we, oh, that, was, that was a mistake. There's no way else to say it, right? Could have done it. Didn't do it. That was a mistake. Oops. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Oh, well, live and learn. There'll be another chance in some future lifetime, I'm sure. Maybe, maybe when the better timeline converges on this one. Yeah, or if we reincarnate on a colony, like, of a, of a planet next to Venus, and they have, like, you know, new space apartments hovering the planet, and we can get in on the ground floor of that, marry, marry some yeah. Venusians and have some Venusian kids. You know, we talked uh, like conspiracies earlier, and I think the wildest thing I've heard in the past month or so is that the, the elite vacation on Venus. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I love the conspiracies about the star bases I, you know, I, I, and the intergalactic wars, man. Those are, if they I have good graphics, I'm all after a tote. That, that's still in the unsure column but for me, but um, I, I thought it was interesting. I mean, yeah. I'm sure we'll want know more once the uh, uh, treaties are signed uh, at the South Pole between the reptilians and the Rothschilds, right? Like, once those treaties are signed, they'll probably reveal a bunch of information. I'm just, I'm just hopeful that we take down the ball before, uh, before April so we can go to Brazil and have a good time. What are you doing in Brazil? Uh, oh, we're doing some temple stuff there. Uh, we're facilitating some temple members uh, going up and dancing and raids and giving Amazing. a few lectures. Yeah. yeah. Brazil is fantastic, man. I love that place. It's like Texas in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I had a really uh, great convo with uh, Marcel Del Debio, who runs the Project Mayhem podcast out of Brazil. You should talk to him sometime. He's a really cool dude and does a lot of tarot decks and creates a lot of, like, a, he did a Kabbalistic board game. Uh, he's, a, he's an architect, and, uh, yeah, uh, it was really interesting to hear about Brazil. He said Brazil's not for beginners. <laughs> no, it's not. But uh, you know what? We don't go, we don't go to Rio, so... Uh... We stay out of the big city, and uh, we're in South Brazil, and uh, then uh, for a week, and then we go to Floripa for a week, uh, which is an amazing island off the coast, and God, it's just gorgeous. And because of the dollar, because of the exchange rate, you know, we live like kings for two weeks. Yeah, right, right. You always forget about that when it comes to South America, though some of the South American economies are sort of on par with ours, right? Like I heard Chile might be sort of on par with ours. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I I wanted to go see the you know the lost cities there, but I, I hear bad reviews about it. Bad reviews about the lost cities. <laughs> they they weren't yeah, as well made because, as, as we were told. Well, no, no, it's, no, it's not the cities itself, but you know yeah. the, the trek, 
the trek up there, you know, there's like uh, no bathroom. So there's just, you know, <laughs> so, so all the way up there, you know, people just kind of like go off to the side of the path and, you know, do their thing. And it's just like, it's very, very uh, telling or, you know, very noticeable, I should say. Oh, uh, you know what? I'm actually really glad to hear that because tell me, tell me what you think. Doesn't that sort of, you know, cause everyone, everyone takes those super annoying you know, pictures, everyone's at the same place, doing the same pose, you know, at those sites. It makes me feel better to know that they sort of earned those shots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are not some like tourist selfie. No, those motherfuckers earned those selfies at those routes. Yeah, hardcore. <laughs> yeah, that's cool to know. Every time someone posts one of those pictures now, I'm going to be like, fair play, fair play. <laughs> But yeah, I'd love to see those one day. It would be it would be cool. Yeah, that's that's great that 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 um that you guys are able to go down and and uh, you know sort yeah, of bring I mean, some bring some energy to the. We were supposed to go down last, there this year. We were supposed to go to London, Germany, and then Greece, but uh, we couldn't because of COVID. But uh, I think uh, Germany and Greece are still on the docket for next year. But uh, I don't know about London now. So yeah, the OMS is doing great. Wow! Yeah, that's. that's I'm, um... I'm very, very, very fortunate, you know, to be in this group, and you know, I, I kind of feel like you know, you always end up in the group that you're supposed to be in. I've been in so many groups; it's, it's crazy. Over 26, 27 years, and uh, but every group I've ever been in, I was in at the right time for me to do what I needed to do. Yeah, and this is definitely the favorite group you've been in ever. Uh, well, so far, but I mean, only because it's, it's been so, there's been so much discovery in it. You know what I mean? It feels like we got in on the ground floor almost, mm. even though, you know, the system is hundreds of years old, but still, I mean, it's like, oh man, it, here's how you do this. And here's how you do that. And this is look brand new. We just discovered this. We just translated it. And it's like, oh, we were doing everything wrong. Now we know how to do it. Mm. It's fantastic. It really is. And we have some great scholars there. I mean, I, I don't know a lick of French, but I tell you, if you do, you know, come and get into Martinism because all the documents are in French and almost none of them really have been translated. Yeah, that, you know, uh, that was actually something I wanted to tell you. One of my, that's one of my things about Martinism, um, uh, as, as appealing as I find it. Some of my friends are going to hate this, but um, the problem is I, I don't like French. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I really don't like it. I had to speak it a lot in when I was uh, in France the other year uh, out of necessity. And uh, uh, it was sort of fun. It was fun when I was there. That was okay. That was fun. But as a language itself, and like, I, I know several languages. So if I had wanted to learn French, you know, we had it mandated for 12 years in school. And I would have learned it. It's not, it's not an, it's not because it's not an accident that I didn't learn it. It was intentional, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it was highly intentional. So when I think of Martinism, I'm like, that sounds awesome. All the documents are in French. I fucking hate French. Not all of them anymore because we've translated quite a few. But they come from French. So they're tainted by the same (laughs) brutal linguistic 
Sin. Every time, every time I have to say the order name, I get laughed at because I, I, I don't do French. Oh, say it for me. No, I will not. <laughs> Please? I will not. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, I'm not sorry at all. I just won't do it. I, I do I do a really bad I do I do a good bad French so let me try it's like Ordre Martinistes Souveregnes. Oh yes, I like that Souveregnes. Like yeah. Oh my yeah. God, can I use that? Souveregnes. Yeah. Souveregnes. I developed this when I was on tour with my Celtic band across Canada because whenever we were in French speaking places and going to like drive-throughs for coffee at like in, in in New Brunswick or Quebec or whatever, both my drummer and my guitarist were fluent in French. So they'd always make me order. And I'd be like, you speak, I'd be like, parlez-vous anglais? And I'd hear, no, you know, because a lot of them don't speak actually English in those parts. And I'd be like, okay, bonjour, je veux trois grandes mochas pour moi avec Mohammed. S'il vous plaît, incroyable, les affaires. And they, you just hear this silence. And then over the speaker, you hear like those most weird laughing. And uh, I'd be like, comprends, incroyable. Excellent. And you just hear more laughing. We'd drive up and they'd be like in stitches serving us our coffees. And often we'd have to reorder because they didn't know what I understand me. <laughs> but it was good times. Well, you know, at least in Europe, you know, most, most Europeans understand English and, you know, you can get by there. In Brazil, man, Portuguese, Portuguese is a hard language, man. Because it, yes. it reads like French, but it does not, I mean, it reads like Spanish, but it doesn't pronounce like Spanish at all. And when you try to speak it, they just look at you like you're the dumbest person in the world. Which is how they were looking at me in France when I was speaking French, but they looked at me way worse if I spoke English. Like really? so dismissively. Oh, yeah. The reason I ended up speaking so much French there was just because I was sick and tired of being treated badly, uh, like so disdainfully. I'd be, you know, wow. I'd sit at a cafe. I'd be like, uh, can I get an espresso, please? And he'd be like, why? And we, you know, I say that like a Quebecois, but you know, he'd be like, oui. and then he'd walk away and sort of give me this look. But if I sat down, I'd like, be like, if I was like, bonjour, un espresso, s'il vous plaît, and he'd be like, no problem, sir. Plaisir. Oh, my, in my English? pleasure. Yeah, I would say, <laughs> he, yeah, he, yes, exactly. He'd res- he would, wouldn't want me to keep speaking French necessarily, but they would say, like, Yes, no problem. Plaisir. They'd say plaisir a lot, of course, and that's just a pleasure. Great phrase, actually. I think, I think that's one of my favorite things about France is that they, when you ask for something, they, they often say pleasure. I like that. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah. I, maybe I'm, I'll, I'll try my to pleasure. borrow that. Yeah, my pleasure. It's not, so, it's not just that I'll do it. It's not because you're paying me or because I'm your friend. It's because it's a pleasure. I like that. Yeah, we could use, we could use more of that. We could use more of that. Yeah, so that's the that's a sticking point. It's the weirdest sticking point. It's a linguistic sticking point. Like, why would someone you know not get into a explore a spiritual system because they don't aesthetically like the the language? Well, it's a thing. You know what can I say? I'm a big fan of the the Germanic writers and traditions, and I love the you know Hebrew and Semitic languages and 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 French. Just French, Spanish, the Romance languages always rub me the wrong way. Except for Italian, I like Italian, and I'd like to learn what about Italian Latin? though. Latin was okay. You know, in, in, in grade school, we had to learn German, French, and Latin. So I didn't like French, and I liked German and Latin. And uh, that's probably why I like Italian. 
I'm still fond of Latin. Yeah, Latin's, Latin's cool. Latin's cool. It's, uh, yeah, it is what it is. We're all stuck with yeah. it. Yeah. I agree. I mean, what you going to do until everything gets translated? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, even I, then, I, and even then, there's, there's other translations. You know, some people might say, oh, but this word should mean this, and that word should be that. And it depends on, you know, your background, how you translate things. Like, I'm working on a translation right now. Uh, I found a manuscript. Uh, uh, some of the other guys were working on it, and they said, oh, this is interesting. It's uh, a group of Martinists that were working with Mesmer and some of the work oh, that weird. they did together. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, really? I'm interested in that because that's, you know, kind of like, you know, channeling almost. And yeah. uh, so, so I picked it up, and I'm translating it. It'll probably be the next book that I come out with. Yeah, that's super interesting. What, what else can you say about the Martinists who worked with Mesmer, Franz Mesmer, right? It, it was, I, I did not realize how, how influential Mesmer was, you know, in France. And it was just like, wow, this guy, this cat, you know, he, not only did he work with a lot of Martinists, but I mean, he had a, a really great influence on the, on the Freemasons at the time. Really? I mean, he was a, he was a rock star, dude. Well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, uh... I'm aware of how um, downplayed he is, uh, histor- you know, in, in history, but I uh, had no idea about the, the deep connections to uh, Martinism and Freemasonry. Yeah, the only, the only, the only thing about it is the, the, the manuscript, it's not that big. It's not, you know, it's, it, there's, you know, the, the, it's, it describes their workings and it's very interesting read. You know, it's just not, there's not a lot of meat on the bone. Hmm. But I think it's, it's just going to be a fun little project I'm doing. Yeah, no, that sounds like a, a great one. I, I wonder that it's in why, what do you think, do you think there might have been something in Mesmer's teachings that they specifically wanted to suppress because... <sighs> no, honestly, I think it was because of Blavatsky that fucking channeling really got ignored. Mm. When you mentioned uh, what happened to channeling earlier, the first thing actually I held back saying, uh, coughing and saying Blavatsky, because, you know, she really did for everybody. She ruined it. She ruined that for all the occult schools. Yeah. 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 Well, you, we can see the effect that, uh, that her shenanigans had on the, the, uh, the Golden Dawn members and, and their, their, uh, views of, of the spiritual guides of the order or secret chiefs, right? Because at first they felt they were necessary. So they almost had to fabricate them. And then when like right? Lux Etenebris comes along in Paris and gives matters, the Z docs, which clearly like those are inspired documents. And we can see that clearly because matters never wrote anything as good as them before or after <laughs> at all, like even close, right. like he, he's his other works see up here bumbling compared to the ex- Exquisite elegance of the Z docs and those formulas yeah. that have really kept the tradition together in a major way, because no one no one can really look at them and the exordium and be like, meh. You know, it's it, they're they're fascinating. They're they're it's uh, it, it really does that, look they, like transmitted they, they, information from Raphael, and they work. They work. They work. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it work 
in, in every way imaginable, I've seen it work. I've seen it work astrally. I've seen it work physically. I've seen it work when the person's not working it. I've seen the person work when the person is working it. I mean, great success, huge success when they're actually doing the work. But even when they're not, I've seen it work. I've seen it, I've seen it destroy their lives. You know what I mean? Just because mm-hmm. they're not doing the work. I mean, think of it what you will, but that shit works. Yeah, formula of the magic of light for for all the people and purists and grimoires who want to discount the GD these days. Um, it's it's kind of absurd because imagine like get so if the point if the if like Doctor Page is correct in saying that these grimoires were used to make contact, the techniques were used to make contact, and then develop relationships and further teachings with spirits there, which is why, you know, each magician would come up with another grimoire because they'd use what they had before them to communicate and connect. Then they would get new stuff, create a new grimoire. And this was how things sort of leapfrog down to us with the, the basic, you know, techniques of magic remain the same, but the little pieces here and there that each magician or adept would bring to the world are, are, are fascinating puzzle pieces that fill in the, the full picture and yet, so that, and, and the Golden Dawn is a result of people from, you know, the, the Lodge Masonic world plus the magical world doing that exact process of interpretation, exploration, and creation to create the GD system. So the, the, per, the, the agenda of any grimoirist is ultimately to try and, is ultimately perhaps, uh, could be, to create something similar like the GD or something new, something that is, wasn't, it hadn't come through before, whether it's a formula or a ritual or an initiation or a whole order. So for people something, now to go back something. to those grimoires and deny the fruits of the other laborers of those same texts is complete. Uh, it, it's, it doesn't, it's, um, it's contradictory. Yeah, I, I would agree with that statement wholeheartedly. I mean, it's just, it, if you can, if you do something the way it was done before, and you, it's revealed to you an easier way of doing it, or a more modern way of doing it, that makes it, you know, and it still works, then do that and share that, because somebody will take that and then they'll discover an easier way that you've discovered, and that's how the tradition keeps living. Right, right. Like the GD initiations aren't just another form of Masonic initiation, they have magical formula in them to use the magic, you know, specifically you see this in the opening of the watchtowers and the magical evocation of those spiritual creatures in those watchtowers to operate within the sphere of sensation of the initiate. That's a magical operation. And that's a very new magical operation. And it's a fusion of magic and spirituality that probably hadn't been seen in quite that way ever before. And to reject it out of hand because it's new is against the whole agenda of the grimoire magicians in the first place. And I think what what can attest to it being a magical system is you can tinker with it and change it around almost dramatically and still get results. Exactly. That's a really good point, actually, that that is the sign of a magical system. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we've got a pretty decent talk, and I'm kind of starting to get a little stiff here. In the, yeah, you're in sitting the in a car, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, is yeah. 
we'll, uh, you know, keep talking, uh, talk soon off air and, uh, uh, yeah, for people uh, you know, uh, to know. Thank, thank you for having me on. And, you know, uh, my book should be released around the 25th. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, there'll be a Kindle edition as well for like 99 it's, cents. It's, it's already up there folks for uh, a bucket yeah, change uh, in Canada, uh, as Kindle called, edition uh, and called hacking the human experience, uh, 30 day reprogramming handbook. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think, it's for everyone. It's not just for occultists. It's not just for people on on the path. It is for everyone. And if you want to change some bad habits or maybe some flawed personality traits, you know this this book will really help you. I think. Well, it's coming from an adept of multiple reputable and uh, and rigorous systems, and I think that's what people should realize. This is not someone gathering cool-looking shiny objects together and putting them. This is the, this is a, this is clearly the work of an adept who has thought out his entire spiritual journey and pinpointed the key things and communicated them in the best way that he thinks they would make uh, be of value to to another other adepts or total muggles which is remarkable yeah and the, the, the texts i shared are definitely ones that have proven track record of, of helping people without a doubt yeah yeah jeff pleasure my friend rc i love you man uh, love you too I can't bro. Wait to see you. absolutely and, uh, absolutely I'm, I'm sure we'll talk very soon very soon yeah yeah thanks for coming on and yeah, talk, talk soon. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk and as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now, hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk.